In the post-war excitement of the 1946 Christmas season, director Frank Capra released his much-anticipated Christmas movie titled, It's a Wonderful Life. I say it was much-anticipated because not only was Capra one of the leading directors of his era, but he had cast two Hollywood superstars, Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed, in the leading roles for this movie. In fact, by the time of its release, It's a Wonderful Life had already been nominated for five Academy Awards. But interesting, the movie turned out to be a box office flop. That's right, almost nobody actually went to see it in theaters when it came out. Uh, Ticket sales raised less than half of the total production cost. And so after a brief run, the movie was taken out of theaters and relegated to relative oblivion in the movie world. And it would stay that way for decades. In fact, it actually wasn't until the early 1980s with the advent of cable television when uh, new station owners were desperate for cheap content that they could broadcast that It's a Wonderful Life started showing up on TV. And now fast forward, Christmas 2020, this show, this movie shows up, seems like on every channel, every day this time of year. In fact, It's a Wonderful Life is number 11 on the list of all-time greatest American movies, and it's number one in the list of all-time greatest inspirational movies. Now, I tell you that not just to wow you with my amazing movie trivia skills. I tell you that because in a lot of ways, that's kind of how it was with the birth of Jesus. What I mean is when it actually happened, almost nobody knew anything about it. I mean, except for the few people who were personally involved in Jesus' birth, his birth had zero impact in, in the, not just the world or the region, it had almost no impact in the little village of Bethlehem where it took place. It didn't make the news, nobody was talking about it. There was no buzz about the birth of Jesus when it happened. In fact, it would be decade later, almost 70 years later, when the first gospel writers begin to write their stories that anybody beyond just a handful of people knew the story of Jesus' birth. It would actually be centuries later before anybody actually celebrated it. But now everybody knows about it. Most people celebrate it. It is a worldwide phenomenon. In fact, over the next two weeks, billions of people will spend trillions of dollars celebrating Christmas. But unfortunately, as our celebration of Christmas gets bigger and bigger, it seems like our understanding of Jesus' birth and what it means gets smaller and smaller. And so it seemed like a good idea this year, 2020, with all that we've been through, with all that we are still going through, that this might be a good year to try to simplify Christmas, to push past the facade, the hype and hoopla of Christmas celebration and really focus on the heart of what Christmas is all about. And nobody did this better than the Apostle John. 
When the gospel writers wrote about the birth of Jesus, Luke and Matthew gave us a lot of information, a lot of details, but John just cut to the heart of what the birth of Jesus meant. In fact, here's the Christmas story according to John. John chapter one. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then check this out. And then the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That's Christmas. And since John decided to describe the birth of Jesus with the word word, we've decided to focus this year on some of the Christmas words that are familiar to us. Words that are a part of our vocabulary this time of year. So last year we started with the word hope. Hope is a big word of Christmas. But what we discovered is that the hope of Christmas is not about better circumstances in our life. The hope of Christmas is being able to trust God's promises in spite of the circumstances in our life. Now today we're gonna look at one of the biggest Christmas words and that is the word joy. Joy is at the heart of our Christmas celebration. In fact, we see that in the first public announcement of Jesus' birth. Remember what the angel said to the shepherds? Notice Luke chapter two. I bring you good news that will cause what? What does it say? Great joy for all the people. And here's the good news that causes great joy. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. No single word is more closely associated with Christmas than joy. The word joy appears on half of all Christmas cards printed in the United States. One out of three Christmas songs focuses on joy. Christmas and joy go together like Brad and Angelina Jolie, which is to say we always think about them together, but they haven't been together in a very long time. And while we think about joy and sing about joy this time of year, for many of us, Christmas and joy are a long way apart. Christmas and the Christmas season has a way of dialing up the pressure and the stress and the dysfunction in our families. Christmas has a way of shining the light and reminding us of what's missing or broken in our families and in our lives. And so for some of us, Christmas is not a season to enjoy. It is a season to endure. And yet, the Bible says as Christ followers, not only should joy be a hallmark of our Christmas season, it should be a hallmark of our lives all year long. Notice what Paul writes in Philippians 4.4. 4. He says, be full of joy in the Lord when? When should we be full of joy? Always, I'll say it again. Be full of joy. Now, come on, is that possible? I mean, really? Is it possible to be full of joy all the time? No matter what's going on, no matter what pain or struggle or issues, can somebody have 
joy all the time. Maybe when Paul wrote this, he was writing it as just a goal to strive for. Maybe he was saying, you know, this is an ideal that we as Christians should strive for. Nobody can be full of joy all the time, but we should strive to be full of joy. Do you you think that's what Paul was saying? That joy should be a goal? Or did he really mean we could be full of joy all the time? Well, I did some checking. I I went back and I looked at this verse and I examined the, the verb that Paul used. And in the Greek, the verb that Paul uses there is in the imperative form. In other words, it is a command. Paul is saying, I command you to be full of joy all the time. And the fact that he repeats it is another tool that first century writers would use to emphasize the imperative. Paul is commanding us, God through the apostle Paul is commanding us to be full of joy all the time. And you know what that tells me? If God commands us to be full of joy all the time, that tells me that joy is not an emotion, it is a choice. Because you can't command somebody to feel an emotion. You can't command somebody to feel a certain way. Those of you that have children, next time they're angry or upset, command them to be happy and see how that works out for you, right? But if joy is a choice, then we can make that choice. And since joy is a choice, there are actually choices we can make all year long, but especially at Christmas, that can bring the joy, not just into our Christmas season, but to every day of our lives. And so to help us with that, we're gonna look at three simple to understand, hard to make choices that can help us choose joy. And just like last week, we're gonna look at key people who were a part of that first Christmas and how they were able to choose joy in spite of what they were feeling. So let's jump in. Number one, the first way to choose joy this Christmas is to choose trust over fear. Choose trust over fear. Did you know that fear is a major theme of the Christmas story? In fact, if you look at Matthew and Luke's Gospels, you'll see the word fear or afraid appears twice as many times as the word joy. You know, we talked last week about the shepherds. They were afraid. They were terrified when the angel showed up. But they weren't the only ones that were scared. Don't you think Mary was scared of what God was asking her to do? Sure she was. Look at Luke 1, 29 and 30. It says, Mary was greatly troubled, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid. You know, unlike the shepherds who were scared of the angel himself, Mary wasn't afraid because an angel was talking to her. Mary was afraid of the message the angel was giving her. I mean, imagine you're a teenage girl and you find out that you're about to be pregnant and not just with any child, but God in the flesh, the long-awaited Messiah. That was a scary thing for Mary. It's a scary thing for Joseph. That's why you remember when the angel showed up in the dream. Look at what the angel says, Matthew 1.20. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. The shepherds were afraid, Mary was afraid, 
Joseph was afraid. Even King Herod, the villain of the story, was afraid. Because you remember when the wise men showed up, they went to Herod's palace and informed him they were following a star that represented the birth of a new king in Israel. And let me tell you, when you are the king and a new king is born in the heart of your kingdom and that new king is not your son, that is a scary thing. In fact, look at what Bible says, Matthew 2, 3. It says, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this. I, I bet he was. Look, every person in the Christmas story dealt with fear. Their fears may have been different, but they were very real. And not only did they all deal with fear, they all handled that fear in very different ways. Don't miss this, because this is the heart of the Christmas story. Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds chose to trust God in spite of their fears. And because of it, by the time you get to the end of the story, they experience joy. King Herod, on the other hand, does the opposite. He doesn't trust God in the fear. He tries to manage the fear on his own. He tries to deal with the fear in his own power, in his own strength. He tries to control the circumstances and his fear consumes him. Not only does he go on to commit one of the greatest atrocities in human history, the slaughter of hundreds if not thousands of baby boys around Bethlehem. But if you keep reading, you'll discover that King Herod ends up dying alone in a painful, miserable death. See, that's what happens. Fear is always an opportunity to choose. You can choose to try to control it, or you can choose to trust God in spite of it. And that's what joy is. The definition of joy is the deep settled confidence that comes from knowing and trusting that God is in control of the details of my life, no matter what fears I'm facing. And I believe if we could sit down knee to knee, nose to nose to the people who were actually a part of that first Christmas, I believe every one of them would tell us that the path to joy often leads directly through our greatest fears. So let me ask you this. What's your greatest fear right now? This Christmas season, what are you most afraid of? What's keeping you up at night? For many of us, it's, it's probably our health, and, and I'm not just talking about the global pandemic, but some of you are in your own personal health pandemic. You're waiting on the results from the scan or the test, or, or maybe you've already got the results back and you don't know what it's going to mean for your life. For some of you, what's keeping you up your greatest fear is in your finances, your work, your job. You're not just trying to make sure you have enough for Christmas, you're trying to make sure you're gonna have enough when the new year turns just to survive. Many of you, your greatest fears involve the people you love the most, your spouse, your kids. You're wondering, are they ever gonna wake up? Are they ever gonna realize the choices they're making and the damage it's caused? And you're scared to death of what could happen to them. Understand this, joy is not the removal of fears from your life, it's choosing to trust God in the biggest fears of your life. And besides, you solve your biggest fear today, 
there'll be another one to take its place tomorrow. That's how fear works. Fear is like a Pez candy dispenser. You take one out, there's always another one to take its place. But we can choose trust over fear and experience joy in our lives. Number two, the second choice for joy is to choose obedience over convenience. To choose obedience over convenience. Because joy is not just trusting God when life doesn't make sense. Joy is trusting God when the things he asks you to to do are inconvenient. That's another thing the people who were a part of that first Christmas had in common. Not only did they not fully understand what God was asking them to do, but what they did understand about what God was asking them was very inconvenient. We talked last week about Joseph When he wakes up from the dream, he does what God calls him to do. He took Mary home at his wife, but that's not as easy as we make it out to be in our pretty sanitized version of the Christmas story. I'm pretty sure marrying a pregnant woman who was not pregnant with his child was not one of Joe's life goals. Talk about inconvenience. I mean, definitely messes up the honeymoon a little bit, right? And then not only, you know, just all of his future was not his plan. It was not in his life goals. It was unbelievably inconvenient. And yet he chose obedience over convenient. So did Mary. Being an unwed pregnant girl in a male-dominated, deeply religious culture was not just inconvenient. It was devastating to her life and her reputation. And yet, look at what Mary says, Luke 1, 38. I love this verse. Mary said, I am the servant of the Lord. Let this happen to me as you say. What's she doing? Choosing obedience over convenience. It's also the choice that the shepherds made. You know, we celebrate Christmas in winter, but most biblical scholars believe that Jesus was actually born in the spring. And if you're a first century shepherd in the spring, that is the busiest time of year for you. It's lambing season when the ewes are giving birth to the lambs. And so spring for a shepherd is like tax season for an accountant. It's wide open. And yet this angel shows up and says, go, leave the sheep, go and see what God has done. And look at what the shepherds do, Luke 2, 16. And so that said, so the shepherds went quickly and found Mary and Joseph and the baby. They dropped everything in the busiest moment. I mean, that's a costly decision. What if one of the ewes got in trouble, a lamb was breached, and there was no one there? That lamb and maybe that ewe would die, and yet they chose obedience over convenience. And it's not just that they did that. It's that they chose to be obedient to what God told them, even when it made no sense. Think about it. The Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah comes, and the first people God wants to tell about it are shepherds these outcasts, these people who could not even give testimony in a court of law because nobody trusted their word. And God's gonna tell them this great news and then he tells them the Savior has come and the Savior's a baby. 
Not a king, not a prince, not a warrior, not even a politician. God has come as a baby. How does that make sense? And that you'll find this baby, this God baby, not in a temple, not in a palace, but in a manger, in a stinky animal shelter. It made no sense. And yet what they do? They trusted God more than their own understanding. And in doing that, they discovered one of life's greatest truths, that joy comes from obedience. It's counterintuitive though, really, isn't it? We don't think about obedience as being a source of joy. We think about it as being a barrier to joy, that obedience keeps us from really enjoying life. Like if we do one of those word association things, and I were to say 10 commandments, I'm pretty sure the first thing that comes to your mind is not joy. It's probably hard, restrictive, confining, and yet look at what the Bible says, Psalm 19, 8. It says, the commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. How is that possible? How do commandments bring joy? Look at the rest of the verse. Because the commandments of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. You catch that? You see, God is our creator. He knows us, and he knows what we really need more than we even know what we need. And so his commands are not walls to keep us from joy. They are guardrails to keep us on the path to true joy. Because so many of the things we run after for temporary relief, for temporary pleasure and enjoyment, destroy our lives in the long run. And so there's joy when I choose obedience over convenience. So here's a question to wrestle with. What's your next step of obedience? What is God calling you to do or to stop doing? What is that thing that doesn't make sense that you don't understand it or is very inconvenient, but you know deep inside God's calling you to take that step of obedience? Maybe it's that relationship. And you're deep in it, but deep down you know it's not healthy. It's outside of God's bounds. But you can't imagine living without that person in your life, but God has clearly said that relationship is out of bounds. Or how about serving God has called all of us as his children to serve him by serving others. When anytime we talk about here at Cedar Creek about plugging in and finding a place to serve with our children, with our students and guest services, wherever it is, do you just kind of feel that I ought to do that? I feel like I ought to do that, but then you immediately think that's gonna be inconvenient. I won't be able to blow off church on the Sundays that I'm signed up to serve and all of a sudden you think, hey, I don't, I don't wanna do that. Or maybe what's keeping you is like, yeah, they shouldn't let me work with the children. That will ruin the children. If I'm back there working with the kids, they'll need therapy for life. But let me tell you something. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips those who answer his call in their life. So, so maybe that's a next step for you. I, I don't know what your next step of obedience to God is, but I do know this. When you're obedient, especially when it's inconvenience, that is the path to real, lasting joy in your life. And then finally, number three, the third choice 
to have joy this Christmas is to choose to share your joy with others, to share your joy with others. See, here's the great thing about joy. It's not a zero-sum game. Joy is not a a commodity that is in limited supply. Giving away your joy doesn't diminish your joy. It actually increases your joy. That's why the Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. And many of us over these next couple of weeks will experience the joy of giving, whether it's presents to the people around us or giving to the uh, COVID relief Christmas offering fund this year or just giving to the budget and the ministry and mission and vision of Cedar Creek Church. There's joy in that kind of giving. But let me tell you something. Sharing your joy is not just about gifts and monies. It's about the opportunities you have to share the real source, the ultimate source of joy, and that is Jesus. It's amazing to me how open Mary and Joseph were to allowing others to be a part of this tender, joy-filled moment in their lives. I don't know if you've been around any first-time mothers who've just given birth. They're not real open to letting strangers come in, right? They, They don't just hand their baby to anybody. They're guarded. And yet Mary and Joseph willingly allowed these stinky shepherds, these strangers, these weird low-life guys to not just look from a distance, but literally come in to where they were. And then a few years later, they opened their home to the weird wise men on camels from the east and allowed them to come in and see and meet and worship the the young boy, Jesus. But listen, when it comes to sharing The joy of Jesus is no greater example in the Christmas story than the shepherds. Notice Luke 2, 17. It says, after seeing him, after seeing Jesus, the shepherds told who? They told everyone. Check this out. Here's what they told them. What had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. Two things they shared to share their joy. One, their own personal experience what had happened to them. Secondly, what they knew, what had been told to them about the baby. Now, did the angel give them all the details of every question that anybody would ever ask? No, they shared what had happened to them and they shared what they knew, the little bit they knew about this baby they shared. You need to understand sharing the good news of Jesus with others is not about engaging in a theological debate. It's not about being able to answer any questions or objections they have. It's not about standing on the corner with a bullhorn using shame and guilt to beat people over the head to get them to Jesus. It's just about one person sharing the night and day difference that Jesus has made in their life to somebody who's willing to listen. There's no greater joy than sharing the good news of Jesus And there's no better time to do it than now. The Christmas season. People are more open to conversations about Jesus this time of year than in any other time of year. Did you know people are more open to an invitation to attend a Christmas church service with you than any other time? You will probably ask them. It's a great time to share the joy of Jesus. 
couple of ways you could do that. One, just invite somebody to come to the Christmas Eve service with you. If you're planning on coming in person, invite them. And I'm not talking about just share the event on your Facebook page. Yes, do that. Share, comment, like. That's great to get the word out. But I'm talking about something more personal. I'm talking about personally reaching out to somebody you know that doesn't have a church home. Somebody who's struggling to find joy and hope this time of year. And invite them. Either invite them to watch online with you or invite them to join you in person at your campus at one of the Christmas Eve services. Pick them up, meet them here. Invite them to go out to eat with you afterwards. It's a great time to invite people to church and share the joy of Christmas. You can also invite them to the Blue Christmas service. Many of you know, especially this year, people who are hurting people who have no desire to be a part of the hype and the hoopla and all the upbeat songs and happy, pretty Christmas families and stories. That's why we do Blue Christmas. It's a soft, gentle, reflective time where we can help hopeless, hurting people connect with what the birth of Jesus really means without having to endure all the happiness of the people around them. You can invite them, come with them. Maybe you need it, maybe you don't, but you know somebody who needs it. You can share the hope and joy of Jesus. Another way you could do this is share your personal story of hope. If you're a follower of Christ, you have a personal story of hope, of the hopelessness in your life before you met Jesus and the hope you feel now because of Jesus. I'm asking you to share your story of hope on Christmas Eve. But here's the good news. You don't have to come up on stage at the Christmas Eve service on your campus. You can do this by video. Just using your phone, make a video, use a, a, a white cardboard and write who you were, the hopelessness before, flip it over. You can share it in words. In fact, right now on our Facebook page are some instructions for you on how you could share your story of hope. Make those videos, upload them, we'll help you with them because it's one thing for me to stand up here or your campus pastor to stand up and talk about the hope and joy that Jesus brings. It's a whole nother thing when you do it because they think I'm paid to be good. They know y'all are good for nothing. No, I'm sorry. No, it's a powerful thing. Share your story of hope because I'm gonna tell you something. In my lifetime, I have never seen a season in which there is a greater need for hope and joy than this year, Christmas 2020. The ditches of the Jericho roads all across our communities are full of hurting, broken, bleeding people. People who are giving up hope in God are giving up hope in life itself. And God has called us to share the hope, the joy of what this time of year is all about. No greater joy you will ever experience in your life than for God to use you to share the hope of Jesus and the joy of his birth with somebody who desperately needs it. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you so much that we can look beyond all the hype and the hoopla and the lights and the gifts and the Santa Claus and all of that stuff that we enjoy this time of year, but we can see past it 
to the joy of this time of year. Oh, I thank you for that. I, I thank you that we can see in the story of your birth not some pretty sanitized Hollywood version of a made-up once-upon-a-time story, but of a gritty, real, difficult story in which you stepped into the midst of it and brought a joy that transcends our circumstances, a joy that can overflow in us no matter what we're going through and shine the light of hope into the dark, dark places in our community and our world. Thank you, Jesus. Help us to celebrate Christmas simply this year. In your name we pray. Amen.